Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC 272, headlined by two title fights. In the main event, we got the Bantamweight women's title on the line, where Juliana Pena is looking to defend her title against the women's GOAT, or GOAT if you want to call it, Amanda Nunes. And in the co-main event, we got the interim flyweight title on the line with former champion Brandon Moreno taking on Kai Car France, uh, a rematch as well of a fight that took place at UFC 245 in a fight where Brandon Moreno sprung the upset that night. This time around, he comes in as a two-to-one favorite. We'll see if Kai Car France has that bark in him to go out there and pull off the upset this time around. But before we get into it all, I truly appreciate everybody joining us on this Friday evening to break down this pay-per-view card one last time. If you guys haven't already, please do hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already. If you're listening to this after the fact on audio platforms, make sure you guys rate and review us on iTunes. And I believe you can do it on Spotify as well, if I'm not mistaken. But if you can't, any help and love uh, is appreciated. And I greatly, greatly thank you guys for uh, showing us the support as you guys always do. All right. Let's not waste too much more time because I got a great guest lined up for you guys. Me and this guy go back way back. He's probably one of the OGs in the game and really welcomed me into this industry with open arms. I was very grateful and very thankful when he did so uh, almost four years ago now. And here we are now with a solid platform, solid stages where we're able to share our uh, MMA knowledge and betting tips with you guys. And I'm glad to be sharing the platform with him once again. Everybody, welcome my guy, Daniel Levy from Best Fight Picks. Dan, what's going on, my brother? Chilling, man. Pre, man, I can't believe it's been four years. Time truly flies. And I was really excited when you asked me to come on here. And, you know, speaking of excitement, the excitement level's just gone, gone up through the roof as the weeks progressed. Uh, this rematch is truly going to be something. Yeah, it is one of those spots where, like, the beginning of the week, I'm like, ah, it's it's a whatever pay-per-view. But, like, I don't know. The anticipation has really started to come to a to a boiling point, right? Like, especially with the ceremonial wins, which just wrapped up recently. Seeing Juliana Pena's daughter on stage with her uh, squaring up with the man in Nunes, that was freaking awesome. And I got to say, I'm I'm very much excited for it, man. Pena is, is very much working on her mic skills, and that's something that you're going to need, especially with not as much hype behind your name, right? Um, what were your thoughts about the ceremonial wins as a whole uh, before we jump into this fight, uh, fight by fight? You know, normally I don't like to talk about kids or like people's family members, but the first thing that came to my mind was Juliana Pena's daughter would totally whoop Amanda's daughter. <laughs> and I got her at minus 1,200 and there would be value on that line. But I mean, look, the intensity is through the roof for this one, man. And uh, you, you just can feel the magnitude of this fight and what it means for the history of this division. So this is one of those landmark fights that we're going to look back on and remember what kind of result happened uh, Saturday night. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Uh, you, the the whole week I was fired up about Cara France and uh, Brandon Moreno, but I my excitement level for the main event has gone up over the last couple of days as well. So very much looking forward to seeing both women step in the cage on Saturday night and try to proclaim the bantamweight king or queen, I should say. Sorry, I'm so used to saying king, but uh, they are going to be proclaiming a queen uh, come Saturday night. All right. Let's not waste any more time, right? We got 13 fights to get through on this pay-per-view card. We'll start off right at the bottom of the card here with Orion Kosi going up against Blood Diamond. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 
215 on Orion Kosi, plus 185 the return on Blood Diamond. Now, Orion, one of the guys that stumbled at the weigh-ins this morning, obviously comes in a little heavy there. Looked rough too, right? It seems like he just hopped out the sauna and uh, jogged on over to the scale or at least had somebody carry him on over to the scale uh, because he did look uh, quite rough. There was a couple guys that looked rough at the weigh-ins this morning, which is why I like doing this ultimate weigh-in show just to kind of see if that affects anybody's stance going into a fight. Personally, for me, it doesn't affect too much uh, more often than not, but there are certain spots where I'm just like, ooh, we, we might have to be wary about that. With Ryan Kosey, we know what his game plan is going to be here, right? He's going to go out there, look to get this fight to the ground, just as he did against Phil Rowe, where he shot multiple takedowns in that first round in his UFC debut. He was successful in getting the ground, uh, getting the fight to the ground, but unsuccessful in terms of getting Phil Rowe out of there. Phil Rowe eventually musters it up and gets him out of there in that second round. That seems to be the the, the consensus on these uh, Kosi brothers, right? They, they get you out of there quickly or they start to fade later in fights and get taken out themselves. Blood Diamond is one of those guys at 34 years old with the 4-1 pro MMA record who needs to get it done right now otherwise you know he's probably going to get a quick trip outside of the ufc if he can't get his hand raised in this spot here uh not a big blood diamond guy myself you know he came into the ufc as uh i was saying it yesterday on my show he's pretty much the, the chris avila to the diaz brothers or the yeah. marcos mariano to the anderson silva pretty much or even <laughs> the artem lobov to conor mcgregor if you want to call it that <laughs> we know great. why he's in the. we know why he's in the ufc he's doing israel adesanya a favor pretty much but like come on Mass this guy up with another striker. Why are we giving him grapplers? You give him Jeremiah freaking Wells in his UC debut. Here you're giving him Orion Kosi, and he might pass this test, but still, let's throw him in there with somebody else who's going to be willing to bang and try to, you know, create an entertaining fight. I still expect this fight to be entertaining. My personal bet that I've taken here is the under one and a half at plus 111. I'm expecting Kosi to get this fight to the ground ASAP and try to get him out of there. ASAP <laughs> or Blood Diamond catches him on the way and puts him out and takes advantage of the ill-advised weight cut that uh, Ryan Kosi had this morning. So prediction will be Kosi under one and a half is my favorite bet. What about you, Dan? What, what do you, what's your approach in this fight and who do you think ends up getting their hand raised? I loved your comparisons, man. That was great. But man, I'm just I'm just not a fan of guys that are like three and one or four and one being in the UFC. Like I'm a believer in paying your dues. Yeah. And I keep hearing that this guy is this great striker and I go back and watch his other fights and I just I just don't see it. I mean maybe maybe he has this kickboxing background we just don't know about and it just hasn't translated yet or something. I mean, but I'm not really trying to make excuses for the guy. It's either you're ready for the UFC or you're not. And it seems like he's not. The thing that sucks is that I look to fade the Kosei brothers every single time. So it's like a fade versus a fade. So it's just a pass for me. But the pick is Kosei. Yeah, I like it. You you normally have to lean on the grappler in these types of situations, especially when you got a guy that seems to be one-dimensional coming into the UFC the way Blunt Diamond is. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about a light heavyweight fight, and we got the UFC de debut of Ihor Pretoria going up against Nikolai Negomerianu. Uh, this is one of those spots that the line actually flipped, uh, Dan. We had uh, closer to plus 150 is actually what Negomerianu opened up over at DraftKings, and steady money coming in on him here, making him a minus 120 favorite in the spot. I'll let you kick off this breakdown, brother. What do you think about the line movement, and ultimately, who do you think gets the win? uh tomorrow night yeah i mean listen if you're a gambler and you got the plus 150 the plus 135 on nikolai then you did your job but now you're you don't go out there and force a bet at minus 120 like that's just stupid you know so now the value is actually on on ehor um this is one of those fights where 
we don't know what the fuck's going to happen. So you just take the underdog. And with Ihor, I mean, he's 20 and two, but it's a super padded 20 and two. I mean, his fight right before his contender series fight, I mean, he was in there with an ice cream vendor and the ice cream vendor dropped him. Like this fat dude dropped Ihor, his fight yeah. before his UFC debut. I mean, his uh, contender series debut. And then Ihor pulled off a triangle. I mean, look, props to him. He's been handling these cans, but like he's been getting dropped against these cans too. But at the same token, he's only 25. He's training at ATT, so at least he's outside his comfort zone. And Nikolai, he's outside his comfort zone, too. He's at Extreme Couture, so at least both of them are in the, are in the United States. So I'm a lean Nikolai, but at the current price, it's actually now a Ihor or pass situation. Before, it was a Nikolai or pass situation. Yeah, I got in on uh, Nikolai at plus 125 earlier this week. I just thought that was a spot here. You know, there, there's a lot of question marks raised about the level of competition that Ihor fought on the regional scene. And you nailed it, man. That, that last fight was absolutely hilarious, seeing him get dropped by that guy. And then that guy just puts himself into the triangle choke. It's not even like uh, Ihor really needed to work to get that triangle off, but it, he got it done. Uh, he goes out there and he just squashes these guys because a lot of these fights are squash matches, right? I, I'm, saw, I'm sure you saw the infamous Rain uh, video where where he's fighting the guy in the middle of a you know open air and it's clearly raining you see puddles of uh of water in the cage and these guys are slipping and sliding all over the place and he pulls off a heel hook victory within 30 or 40 seconds but uh, a lot of the guys that he's facing like they're giving up very easy takedowns they look like guys that they just picked out of the crowd as soon as the event started saying hey uh, <laughs> Ehor's original opponents uh, fell out we need somebody to to you know hop on in here we'll give you guys uh, a 50 bucks and a food voucher to take on this guy so um, I'm skeptical about the, the level of competition. Nego Mariano even had sketchy competition coming into the UFC. So let's not forget about that. Now it's Ihor's time to go out there and prove that he deserves to be in the UFC. Uh, a big finish here of Nikolai would, you know, sell me on the fact that he might be a little bit more legit than what his record tells us. But I'm hoping that Nego Mariano's durability will hold up. I'm hoping that he'll be able to continue to move forward, bite down on the mouthpiece, land some big shots, maybe even make this a grimy fight like he was able to do against Alexa Kmore, uh, push him up against the cage, drag this fight to the ground, really put him through the ringer. Uh, I'm kind of stumped in terms of a method of victory for Nego Mariano because I can see him getting done via KO. I can see him getting done via decision. But I'm just happy that I jumped in on that plus money when he was still there at plus 125. So that's what I'm going to be going with as my bet for this. And kind of seems like Dan is on my side, but although uh, plus money, if you got plus money in this fight, luckily you ended up on the right side regardless. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. Interested to hear your thoughts about this one. We got a women's bantamweight belt between Ji Yoon Kim and Jocelyn Edwards. In terms of odds, we got minus 125 on Edwards and plus 105 is the return on Ji Yoon Kim. Now Edwards actually opened up as the plus 130 dog Money came in on her steadily, even pushed her up to about minus 140. Now she's sitting around minus 125 a day before the fight. She was one of the few that obviously missed weight this morning. Not a good look, uh, especially I believe her last fight was up at 145 pounds. Now she's coming back to 135 and just couldn't make the mark. You know, really not a good look uh, for Ji Yoon Kim. This is going to be, you know, a, a chopping block fight for her. If she goes out there, this is going to be her fourth straight loss in a row. And got to believe the UFC is going to be willing to, to hand out a pink slip here to, to get her out of the UFC, especially with that tumultuous run that she, she's on. I think... They're giving her another shot here, considering that she probably should have won that last fight against uh, Priscilla Cachuera. Uh, I, I, somebody posted today or yesterday the the 
the picture of them reading the decision and you just see mush of a face of Priscilla Castro and then you see almost nothing on uh, Ji Yoon Kim in that spot just goes to show what kind of decision was actually made in that that fight but uh, I'm expecting Ji Yoon Kim to be the more effective striker here I think she has a little bit more pop on her shots I think she's the better puncher uh, Edwards might be the better kicker in this spot but I don't think it's gonna matter that much like I'd be surprised if Edwards gets away with uh, pitter-patter kicking her way to a decision like she did against uh, Romana, Romana Pasquale last time around. But the one thing that stood out to me in that fight was Pasquale's ability to hurt Edwards to the body on numerous occasions. Uh, we know uh, Jiyoon Kim can take that route if she needs to. She got the the fraud Nadia Kasim out of there relatively quickly uh, with those uh, body shots way back at UFC 243. I'm hoping the guys over at uh, Tiger Muay Thai and Bang Tao Muay Thai, specifically George Hickman, have gone back and watched that fight and, and even Jocelyn's last fight to see that there could be some finishing opportunities if you guys do target that body. And I'm assuming this weight cut issue that Jocelyn Edwards faced uh, this morning could you know aid the the possible finish here from Jiyun Kim if she actually looks to put her foot on the gas and get the get the finish herself so uh, I got two units on Kim at plus 115 you know a little bit of CLV there now considering she's at the plus 105 but I'm expecting her to land the better strikes and uh, as long as we don't get a Priscilla Castro type decision here uh, she should be able to get her hand raised and hopefully I'll cash my dog of the night ticket what are you thinking here Dan uh what side you on uh, do you have a bet on this and who do you think gets her hand raised I mean, as a fan, how can you not be a fan of Gian Kim? And I mean, that's also part of the reason that she's still in the UFC despite the skid is that she brings it every single time, win or lose. She's always in exciting fights, so counts for a lot, um, you know. But when you when you take off the fan cap and you look at it more from a betting perspective, obviously the dog money is good. But my issue is she doesn't use that reach advantage like I want her to. And in a lot of these fights, she's got such a big reach advantage. And offensively speaking, you love what you see. It's just defensively gets hit way too much. And as a result, a lot of these fights end up being split decisions. Like a few years back, she fought this girl named Melinda Fabian. And like, I thought that that was the lock of the night. No pun intended. I thought that that was like the easiest money of the card. Like, it's a guarantee. Hey, the dog's barking. That means that Gian Kim's about to win. Good luck for me. But uh, you know, whenever the dog barks, that means the dog wins. So this is this is good. Um, my boy is barking. So, um, but anyways, back to the Melinda Fabian talk, right? Because like on back on that card, I think it was on like a Singapore card or something like that. I don't remember. It was back in the day, but I was like, dude, like there's no way Gian Kim loses to this girl. Um, and she didn't. But like. It was much closer than it should have been, and that's been uh, that's been a recurring theme. Like going in, into the Priscilla Cachoeira fight, like it doesn't matter who you scored it for, even if you scored it for Kim, it was still it still played out a lot closer. So that's why you wouldn't want to lay chalk on her. Now you didn't lay chalk on her; you took her at dog odds, so that's good. So I expect it to be a close split decision type fight, and I'd rather have the dog in that spot. So yeah, I'll go with Gian uh, Kim via split decision. I'm hoping that it's not a split. I don't want to be sweating this one out, but I know oh, what I'm getting into here. One, brother. I, I know what I'm getting into here, but like you said, I'm glad that I ended up on the plus money side uh, and hoping that Kim can actually get it done in this spot. Uh, I will say what my guy Dirty Reg 22 here saying, banking on Kim via finish is very risky. I'm not hoping that, you know, that's the only path to victory that she has. I think it's a path to victory she has, but I am expecting this to obviously go the full 50 minutes. Let's she, hope she's the one going out there and landing the better strikes, uh, the more effective strikes and hopefully that's what the judges end up seeing as long as that judge robert alexander is not judging this fight i'll be happy if uh, we're, we're in texas brother anything <laughs> goes 
I don't. That's the guy from Texas that like scored the Jared Vandera and Arlovsky fight for Vandera. And there was another very egregious one. I think it's Roxanne Modafferi versus uh, Casey O'Neill that he scored for uh, Roxy as well. So, um, gotta be gotta be cautious, especially now that we're in Texas for this card. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got a very uh, highly touted prospect in Michael Morales uh, coming in and fighting short notice Adam Fugit in terms of odd odds. <clears throat> Heavy chalk we're going to be getting on the Morales side at minus 600, plus 450 to return on Adam Fugit. Uh, what are you thinking here, Dam? You think the, the dog has any bite in this spot, or do you think that Morales rolls? I mean, he might have bite if, like, Michael Morales, you know, he just got his first 50K bonus. He's never seen money like that in his life. Now he's got the neck tattoos. If, yeah. if, if he hasn't been training or something, then there's a chance. But it seems to me like the kid's focus. Plus, I mean, he's the second ever fighter from Ecuador, you know, right behind Marlon Chito Vera. So that comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of pride. So, and the kid's very, very talented. And even on his past fights, we've seen him overcome adversity, which is something I like. And Adam Fugit's tough and he's skilled. He's just, I think he's too slow. I think he might be a little bit on the chinnier side and you can't be slow and chinny against a guy like Michael Morales. So I, I think Michael comes out here and probably knocks him out in the first round. Uh, so I do have actually one bet on this fight, and it's reading into the Fugit side a little bit more. I I do think the kid has some good shops in there, right? He shows a solid full uh, all-around MMA game. Uh, I know he has a bit of a wrestling background in high school and community college, but in terms of how he utilizes it inside the cage, very impressive. Uses his combinations well, uses his pressure well, is able to mix in his takedowns and his clinch game with his striking very well. And if you can even bring a, a bit of that in here, I think he can make this a closer fight than the odds actually indicate. Yes, you are right. He he is a slower guy in the spot, and that is an obvious uh, uh, red flag in a sense, right? He did get knocked out by Kalen Hill back in 2018. Uh, I believe it was like a Superman punch that put him out there, uh, a counter Superman punch, if I'm not mistaken. But if he minds his P's and Q's, he can stress this fight into the second round, in my opinion, which is why I took a shot on the over one and a half at minus 103. Uh, I got a 1.03 shot on there just to win one unit. Uh, I'm banking on his ability to mix this fight up, make it grindy, push uh, Morales up against the cage, have some success there. Dude could look good at the weigh-ins, right, for, for taking a short... A sh uh, a fight on short notice. He looked damn good in that spot. I'm hoping that it pays off with his durability here and just makes this uh, a clinchy fight. If he can, you know, replicate similar to what uh, Vertenikov was able to do on the contender series by, you know, engaging in the clinch and the grappling and just slowing this fight down. I could see him even having some sort of success. Uh, I'm hoping that we're going to continue to get that Morales money rolling in over the next 12-ish hours because I might be even laying a half-unit shot on Fugit if he's able to reach that plus 500 mark. We'll ultimately probably still do it, even at plus 450 if I don't get that plus 500 because I do think that this kid is better than those odds indicate. And I think he'll be able to beat up on some of these lower-level guys in that UFC uh, uh, welterweight division once he starts getting full training camps in but uh, prediction-wise, you know, odds apart, Morales should win this fight. Absolutely, he should win this fight. I do believe that there is some value on the uh, Fugit side, though. So uh, I'm ready to look like a complete nutbag if Fugit goes out there and gets starched in 20 seconds. But uh, I feel like the, after the research and work that I've put in, I feel like he's a decent spot, as well as banking on his durability here to go over at least that one-and-a-half round mark. All right. Let us keep this train moving along here. Next up, we're going to be looking at a lightweight belt between Jakar Close and Rafa Garcia. 
in terms of odds, the obvious chalk on Drakkar Close. It seems like every single fight this guy's in, he's usually at least a two to one favorite. No different here. He's minus 215 and plus 185 is the return on Rafa Garcia. Um, looking at Drakkar Close's last fight, you'd assume he's a knockout artist, right? Like the guy just goes yeah. out there, hurts Brandon Jenkins on numerous uh, occasions in that first round, and then eventually finishes him in that second round. Even if you want to dial it back to the, the Benio Darius fight, giving us like the round of the year uh, with that crazy sequence that he had with Benio that gave us that infamous moment with the commentating team all losing their shit uh, uh, a cage side. But when he is just doing that Drakkar Close thing, He's he's pushing his opponents up against the cage. He's looking for takedowns, or he's even staying active with his, with that leg kick just so that he can figure out what he needs to do next, whether it's throw combinations, let his hands go, or try to gauge, engage in the clinch and control his opponents in that in that aspect. Um, I, I believe that this is one of those fights where we we'll see Jakar Close go back to form go back to being that uh, decision machine in a sense, right? I don't know if Brandon Jenkins is truly UFC level, and I think that's why Jukar Close was able to get the finish that night. I think Garcia will put up a little bit more of a fight here, but I just don't think his style will be able to overcome that efficient style uh, of Jukar Close. So I'll go close here, uh, close via decision, but I I'm passing from a money line perspective. Whenever you have a Jukar Close fight, I, I got to do it, Dad. I'm sorry. He always fights close. You got you to throw it out there, and I think that's what we're going to be seeing here, but I still think he ends up getting his hand raised. What are, your, what are your thoughts on this spot? Do you think Garcia can actually snatch the victory here as an underdog? I mean, I think he can win a round, uh, but... Here's the issue is like you th you'd think like a dude training in Colorado would probably have like this three round cardio. But for some reason, I don't know if it's because he just pushes a heavy pace or what the deal is, but he tends to slow down, you know, as fights progress. Now, we can cut him an excuse for the Gritzmacher fight because Gritzmacher is one of those dudes that like you hit him with a baseball bat and he doesn't go down. And, then you know, his opponents get kind of carried away and they kind of blow their load a little bit. But it's been other fights that I've seen the same thing as well. So I kind of think the first round is going to be a bit close. And then I see close, no pun intended, taking over the second and third, coming out here, winning another decision, you know, being slightly ahead on the volume, getting that last minute opportunistic takedown, um, et cetera, et cetera, doing what he needs to do to win the decision. So give me uh, give me Dracar close via unanimous decision. Well, what are your thoughts on the possibility that he's like changed up his approach going into fights, right? Before he came to the UFC, he had a handful of finishes on his record, right? Then he had that whole Jeremy Stevens debacle, and maybe that's lit a fire under his ass where he's like, all right, now I need to just go out there and be be a finisher, be a guy that the UFC is excited to have on their cards um, rather than just going out there and just eking out these decisions. Even if it's against high-level opponents, I need to go out there and be a little bit more you know, a little bit more fun. Maybe he got a, if I'm not mistaken, he got a fight of the night bonus against Benio Darius. Maybe he liked that extra cheddar in his bank account. Probably got a performance of the night bonus against Brian Jenkins as well. Do, do you think that plays into his mindset at all going into this fight? Nah, not really, man. I mean, I think that the fights just develop how they develop, right? You know, when you're in there with a guy like Benio, you have no choice but yeah. go to war. And not saying that that's not going to be the case here with Rafa, but I think Rafa's a bit on the slower side compared to a guy like Benil and, you know, the cardio issues. It's not an issue. It's not like he's not out here not running his miles and the yeah. guy, you know, lives in Colorado. It's just he tends to fade down the stretch. Like, it is what it is. So, yeah, I just think, I just view this as a lower level fight than Benil. Um, so, I don't think there's going to be as much of a threat as there is when you're in there with a guy like Benil Darius. All right. 
Uh, I'm I'm totally on board with that. I'm hoping from an entertainment perspective, Jakar Quote starts getting his shit together and starts giving us some more finishes. But uh, if history tells us anything, the guy likes to go out there and see the judges' scorecards. All right. You want to talk about sketchy records? Let's talk about <laughs> this next fight here. We got Dante Mays going up against Hamdi Abdel Wahab. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 195 now on Dante Mays, plus 165 to return on Hamdi. Now, this opened up pretty much as a pick em, And then once the word got out that this Hamdi guy was having very sketchy fights on his record and finding very weird competition, you know, not looking the greatest while doing so, especially when fights get stretched out of that first 30 to 45 seconds. Everybody laid on the Dontel May side of things. Then I'll, I'll let you kick this one off, man. What are your thoughts on the Egyptian wrestling uh, Olympian <laughs> and uh, Dontel Mays in this spot? Yeah. I mean, listen, I respect the fact that he's an Olympian, but you know, people are trying to act like this is like a, um, an American Olympian or something. And it's not, you know, Listen, all due respect to anybody that can make it to the Olympics, but, you know, he went 0-1 in the Olympics, firstly. But secondly, it's the United States, Russia, and Iran. Those are the three that, if, if, if a wrestler that's an Olympian from those three places makes it to the UFC, that's when you really take note. But after those three, there's a significant drop-off, and then you got Egypt. So it's it's really, it's not that big of a deal. It's kind of like... He's like a D3 or an NAIA wrestler. It's like not that big of a deal. And then you take it a step further, and he made his pro debut in 2022, which is also a huge red flag. Like, I need experience, you know, for these guys fighting in the UFC. And even though Dante Mays is not the not the greatest by any stretch of the imagination, the guy's paid his dues. I mean, the guy has overcome some very embarrassing moments. I mean, he took two L's on one night the, the time he fought uh, on Contender Series the first time. He took his first L to Alan Crowder, which is a huge L. I mean, yeah. you know, one doesn't simply lose to Alan Crowder in the heavyweight division with UFC yeah. aspirations. But to take it a step further, Snoop Dogg said he wasn't invited to the barbecue. Oh, so no. That, that, that's, that's two L's in one night. And, I mean, you know for a fact he, he he wasn't living that one down for a long time. You know for a fact when he went back home, like, he wasn't here in the end of that. So for him to overcome that, come back to the contender series two more times, win those fights, even be in there with a guy like Cyril Gahn, like that's called paying your dues. So I think he's got enough for this guy, but nothing would surprise me because, I mean, I'm not in the business of laying minus 200 on Dante Mays, period. Not to mention he was like an underdog or like a pick em at one point a few days ago. So like you missed the line. There's no, there's no reason to force a bet, but pure pick. I got Dante Mays. Yeah, I, I'm on the May side too here. I got in at minus 132 before the true steam came in and brought him up around minus 190. Um, 1.32 units to win pretty much one unit in this spot. Um, yeah, you laid it out pretty well here, man. Like very sketchy uh, things on the on the Hamdi side in terms of, you know, level of competition, going out there and fighting that uh, the guy that looks like a plum, you know, two times in a row doesn't really make any sense. I'm not sure why they decided to put that rematch together. Uh, I know the first one was bare knuckle MMA and the second one was actually bare knuckle. Uh, sorry, was actually MMA, pro MMA uh, rule set, I should say. But even that one fight that he gets stretched into the second and third rounds against, uh, I can't really remember the cat's uh, first name, but it was Clemens, I believe his name was. But, uh, you know, you see him huffing and puffing in that second round. Like just waiting and biding his time to eventually gain enough energy so he can go out there and land that takedown and then huff and puff on top of his opponent while he's pretty much winning the fight. Um, 
the guy was pretty much built the same way as Dante Almeida, right? Very long, rangy. But pretty much everybody's going to be long and rangy against Hamdi because he's an undersized heavyweight who's just a thick boy. You know what I mean? That's that's pretty much that we're bringing to the table here uh, with Hamdi. Uh, Hamdi's striking pretty much just relies on overhand rights. That's really all that we're getting out of him. More often than not, he's able to land it and put these guys down and out. So I don't blame him for, for utilizing that over and over again. But as he takes steps up in competition, especially in this fight that you'll see against... Uh, uh, Don Mays, that's not going to work. Don Mays will be able to keep his distance, whether he's teeping him up the metal or just keeping him away with his jab and his footwork. Um, he might get taken down in this first round. Like, I'm not leaving that all the realm of possibility because you said it yourself. You're not in the business of playing minus 200 on a guy like Don Mays because he could absolutely fumble the bag in this spot still, especially if Hamdi comes out there with a, with a legitimate game plan and, and pushes up his gas tank properly uh, in this spot. So, uh, I'm hoping that he can survive that first round because I think if he gets out of that first round, he should be able to take over. Hamdi slows down tremendously, in my opinion. And Mays, we, we just saw him, you know, last time around, go out there, have a wrestle-heavy uh, approach against Josh Parisian and get a finish in the third round. That's the most grueling part of the MMA game is being able to wrestle as effectively as he did that night again, Josh, uh, against Josh, and then still to get that third round finish. Very, very impressive from the Dontel May side. Hopefully he can do the same thing here to Hamdi. Maybe not wrestle him, but uh, outstrike him from the outside and then eventually finish him late in the spot. So I got that 1.32 units shot at minus 132. Hoping I'm not eating my words come Sunday morning <laughs> after watching this fight again. All right. Let's keep it moving along here. We got uh, another fight here at 155 pounds. We got Drew Dober going up against Rafael Alves. And uh, Dober looking very rough this morning uh, on the scales, doing something to kind of like keep his balance on, on the scales. It was very sketchy to me, but it did not look like that cut was kind to him in the least bit. Seemed to get his wits back about him for the ceremonial wins uh, a couple hours ago. But I wonder what that weight cut may have done and may have left uh, him with uh, in terms of bringing himself into the cage come tomorrow night. We know what Rafael Alves brings to the table. The guy is a quick starter. He he almost got Demirez Mogulov out of there in that first round. He got Mark D. Casey out of there in that first round uh, with that flying knee and then followed it up with that submission. He could do the same thing here against Dober, man. As Dober's career has gone on, we've seen that durability start to deteriorate. And although it pulled through for him last time against Terrence McKinney, I don't know if he could do the same thing here against uh, Rafael Alves. You know, I, I'm expecting if Alves hurts him the same way that McKinney did, he's not going to be looking to club and drum him. He's going to be looking to club and sub him. And it's going to be harder to come away from a, from a submission than it is from, uh, you know, trying to eat some punches here. So uh, I'm on the Alves side here. Didn't make a bet on his money line. Shout out to you on the CLV that you got on this spot. I'll let you break that down when I pass it on over to you. The way that I approach it is I just took a half unit shot on him to win in round one at plus 650. I think that's a tremendous line in, in the spot. And seeing that way in this morning makes me even more comfortable that he should be able to go out there and do what he does best. Get out of the, get guys out of there early. Uh, so I'll go Alves, Alves round one finish. Dan, I know you got a bet in this spot and you got tremendous CLV here as well. Let me know why you think that Rafael Alves takes down Drew Dober. I mean, firstly, I'm a huge fan of Drew Dober just as a fighter and as a person. I mean, extremely nice guy. Had him on my show. He was such a pleasure to talk to. He's got a great mindset. And then as a fan, how can you not enjoy watching him fight? If you're not a fan of Drew Dober, like we can't be friends, man. I mean, the guy consistently puts on some of the most exciting fights in the UFC. So I love me some Drew Dober. But, I mean, I, I think it's a situation where 
firstly, Rafael Alves has been outperforming his price tags, man. Um, like you look at that UFC debut, he was like a plus 500 dog. He drops Demir Ismagulov in that first round, and then he unanimously wins the third round. A plus 500 dog doesn't do that. The next fight against DeCasey, he was like a plus 250 dog, and he flying knees the guy and then guillotine chokes him. So he kind of gives me like Michelle Pereira vibes where he took a lot of L's back in his regional scene, paid his dues, but he's always just been kind of a superior athlete, you know, the dude that can do 10 backflips on the walk and the dude that's going to come out here and just try some crazy shit. And I think he's putting it all together at the right time. Like, it seems like now he's finally settling in because if he wasn't, Demir Ismagulov would have got him out of there in that first round. If he wasn't, DeCasey would have put a wrestling clinic on him. So, yeah, I like the plus 200 I got a few days ago um, on him. You know, obviously now it's, what, plus 140. So, you know, I did. I think I did my part there. And now, honestly, if I want to go bet Dover and guarantee myself a profit, I can do that as well. But I rarely ever hedge. So I'm hoping that we get him out of there early. Um, You know, rock him, jump on that neck. But if not, I acknowledge the fact that Drew Dober can absolutely take over late and possibly get Alves out of there late. But based on the fact that I took that plus 200 on Alves, uh, I'm hoping uh, we do something big early. But if we don't, maybe we can compromise him to the, to the point where he can't come back. So that's what I'm hoping for. So I got one unit at plus 200 straight on, on Rafael Alves here. I love it. I love it. And it's not often that we see a huge line movement after a weigh-in, but we did see that obviously this morning. Is there one that comes to mind for you in terms of one that you look to take advantage of, uh, you know, uh, whether it was for or against the guy that the line was moving against just based off of a weigh-in? Is there one that comes to you from the top of your head here? You mean this car specifically? No, just just in general, like just through history, like 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 again, like Drew Dober yeah. was minus two hundred, right? Minus two twenty, dropped down to a minus one seventy after the wins. Now, does is there one that comes to mind for you? Like a spot I took advantage of because I saw yeah. someone look fucked up. Yeah, um, I'll tell you one spot where I did that and I lost, and I'll tell you one spot where I did that and I won. So perfect. <laughs> one spot where like I did that and I lost was when Hanato Moicano fought Brian Ortega. Ortega looked like he was on death's doorstep uh, at that way. And man, yeah, and like looked that. like they probably had to take him back to the hospital to get some IVs and actually word on the street. Cause you know how they said that IVs were banned, but word on the street from what I've heard um, is that if you get, you know, a doctor's note, like a, a therapeutic use exemption, you can actually get I- IVs again now. Oh, That's wow. The, like yeah. before the fight. Yeah. Like after weigh-ins. Wow. Wow. I didn't know. I that. know. Yeah. That, 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 that's some, uh, some shit they don't talk about, but that's that's the word. Um, so it looked like Brian Ortega was about to die. I already liked Hanato in that fight, so I put more on Hanato, and then he ends up losing that fight. But a spot where the Wayans actually paid off was Tom Aspinall's UFC debut. You know, we didn't really have much. <laughs> we, we, don't we, you dare slander my guy Jake Collier like this. Don't we, you we do it. We didn't really have much footage on Tom Aspinall, so we didn't really know much about him. Uh, and then this dude, Jay Collier, who the last time we saw him was like at 185 or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. he comes in six months pregnant. So I just like <laughs> slammed. It was like minus 250, minus 350. I played it straight. And then uh, Aspinall goes in there and starches him in the first minute. So, yeah, it's it, it's hit or miss. So I try not to pay too much attention to the yeah. weigh-ins. But like if I like a side and then the other side misses weight, then that'll maybe give me some more confidence. But I try to just already have my pick going into it and not let that affect me too much. Because here on the regional scene, man, like, you know, back in the day, I used to sponsor a lot of fighters and stuff. And 
you know, one of the guys I sponsored, he fought on LFA. So we go to the weigh-ins and like, dude, like he's like cramping up. He has to towel trick it to make weight. Like he looks like he's going to fucking die, man. And then afterwards, like, you know, he's cramping up in my car and it's like, bro, how the fuck are you going to perform tomorrow? And then the next day he goes out there and 30, 27 is the guy easily. So like, you just you just never know with that shit. It's like it's super misleading. So I try not to put too much stock into it, but it is a lot of fun to watch regardless. Yeah, I, I've learned over the years that like you, you can't put too much stock into the weigh-ins because guys go out there, they kill themselves to make the weight. Like nobody enjoys cutting weight, right? That's one part of the game nobody enjoys, but they go out there, they do it, even if it means they have to meet death's door. But then the next day they're able to go out there and have a legitimate uh, performance. The only one that comes to mind for me that like, again, I'm not even, I don't remember if I took advantage of it or not, but one where I was like, oh, this, this fighter looks rough. And to me, it showed in their performance was Ketlin Vera against Yana Kunitskaya. Like on on weigh-in day, she looked horrible, like bad, and she missed the weight too. And then she goes out there and loses that fight to Kunitskaya. But that was that weird decision as well too, where Kunitskaya won that fight pretty much off of her back. But because we were just getting Ketlin kind of holding her there, and Yana was the one actually landing damage there. So maybe it did affect Caitlin's performance and being able to actually muster up the energy to damage her opponent rather than just hold her opponent to the mat. But uh, that's the last one that I can really remember. I'm like, Ooh, this person does not look good at all. All right. Let us move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about a welterweight belt that headlines the prelims. What better way to end off shark week than have Alex Morono headline is it shark week here. it is shark week my friend Holy shit. good timing good timing and uh he's going to be taking on matthew semi the jedi uh Semmelsberger. uh in terms of odds we got semi as the favorite here at minus 155 plus 135 is the return on alex morono uh what are you thinking here uh dan you liking uh the the texan to get it done or do you think that Semmelsberger goes out there and gets the biggest win of his ufc career you know, honestly, what I think doesn't matter because full disclosure, I am horrendous at picking Alex Morano fights. <laughs> like, I cannot pick a Alex Morano fight to save my life. Like, for example, I bet him at Dog Money to beat Jordan Meehan, and then he pulls an epic stunt in that fight. And then I, I bet on Keenan Song in China to beat uh, Alex Morano, <laughs> and Alex Morano whoops him. And then I think I, I was like, you know, Cerrone doesn't lose to guys like this, and then Cerrone lost to a guy like this. So. Yeah, I got uh, Semi the Jedi. I think he's too athletic. I think he's too physical. I, I think he's too big, too strong. So that probably means Morano's going to win the fight. <laughs> I, I love the breakdown. Just give all the points of why you think the opponent's going to win and then just end up going with the other guy. But I get it, right? Like, there's some fighters where we just cannot call them. We cannot get their fights down at all. Um, Tom Aspinall is that guy for me, right? Like, albeit, like, he lost that last fight via injury and it was a fluke thing. But, like, that was the one fight where I decided not to fade him. And I could have cashed the ticket had I faded with Curtis Blades there. But um, yeah, in regards to this matchup, I actually took the shot on, on the great white here, Alex Morono. Um, I love his style in terms of just butting down on his mouthpiece, moving forward and throwing big shots. He always has great output, right? Like that's a guy that you can almost bank on always going over 100 significant strikes. Um, and you wouldn't even know that he has a black belt in BJJ. If I'm not mistaken, he actually has his own BJJ school down there in Texas, but you never see him use it. The first time he ever lands a takedown in the UFC, I believe it was like eight or nine fights into his UFC career when he went up against Reese McKee, landing three takedowns in that fight. And they still both went over 300 combined significant strikes landed in that fight, which is absolutely crazy for a 15-minute contest. In this spot, yes, Samuelsberger might be able to snipe him from the outside. He might be able to just put him out 
out as well. But uh, Alex Morono only ever been knocked out twice in his professional MMA career. Once eight years ago, way back in the RFA days, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, obviously the Chaos Williams one where Chaos sprung the big upset there uh, in Houston and put him out. I'm hoping that his durability will be able to hold up here because I think he's going to be the one that's going to be moving forward. I think he's going to put the pressure on Summersberger and uh, he might not finish him. I don't think he'll finish him, but I think he'll be able to put up enough numbers here. Maybe get the crowd on his side, being a fellow Texan, getting them to scream every time he even tickles Summersberger <laughs> in the spot. Uh, and hopefully that will, uh, you know, result in us being able to cash an underdog ticket here. So I'm going Summers, or sorry, I'm going Morono, took the dog shot on him, one unit at plus 136 hoping that it's enough for him to go out there and get the win. I like Samuelsberger. I, I like the kid. I think the kid has some uh, potential, but I think that uh, Morono's fighting style is very difficult for a lot of fighters to deal with at times, and I think that Samuelsberger will feel the brunt of it this weekend. All right. That is a wrap on the prelims. Shout out to the 90 live viewers that we currently have with us on this Friday night. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already. And make sure you guys follow my guy, Dan, as well. I have his Twitter account linked in the description below. So you don't even have to type anything in. Just click that, go to his page, and click follow if you haven't already. And then obviously go check out his own podcast, Half the Battle, uh, that you guys can find on YouTube and all podcasting platforms. Heck, if you guys are listening to my podcast, more than likely you already heard this guy's podcast. So uh, I'm just doing it for those that crept through the cracks and haven't stumbled upon my guy, Daniel Levy yet. All right, let us move on to the first fight on the main card. And it is probably my favorite fighter in the UFC at this point. We got my guy Magomed Ankalaev coming in as a hefty minus 560 favorite going up against the Lionheart Anthony Smith, who's coming in at plus 430. Interesting fight here, you know, for Magomed Ankalaev, if he gets his hand raised here, you know, tough to deny him a title shot, although there is a big light heavyweight matchup next weekend as well between Jamal Hill and Thiago Santos. I wouldn't even be surprised if they ended up lining up these guys against each other should they both go out there and get their dubs. I would love to see it myself. But, uh, you know, Ankalaev, there are a little holes that you can poke inside his game, right? His only loss so far was obviously that Paul Craig debacle where he taps at the last second of that fight of a fight that he was absolutely dominating. Uh, but now here, you know, we're seeing him uh, being a little too patient sometimes with the striking, which could allow guys to get ahead of him in terms of the output and volume and possibly sway it towards the judges. Excuse me. Nikita Krilov was that guy, right? Like he had some good success in that first round against Ankalaev, just putting volume on him, putting pressure on him. And then Ankalaev just flipped the script. He goes, you know what? I'm a great striker, but did you guys forget that I'm Dagestani as well? I can take these fights to the ground and have success there because that's exactly what he did against Krilov. And I love seeing those championship type adjustments mid-fight from guys. And that's exactly what we've got from Ankalaev. Um, you know, even the Vulcan Uzdemir fight, Vulcan was coming on strong in the first couple minutes there. Then Ankalaev bonked him with this beautiful counter and it just made Uzdemir pretty much gun-shy the entire way. Uh, Anthony Smith could come in here with a similar to a, a Nikita Krilov-type game plan. Just put the pressure on him. We know he's a fighter. We know he's a guy that can uh, apply pace and pressure to his opponents. And if he can do that successfully here against Ankalaev, that plus 430, plus 460 is going to look amazing. However... Remember a couple fights ago when everybody's like Anthony Smith can't stop a takedown and he can't get up for the rest of, or for 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 the life of him? That's exactly the approach I'm going to see on Kalaev taking this spot. Should he feel threatened on the feet? Should he feel like he's going to be good behind on the scorecards, especially going into that second round because he's just not throwing enough or not landing enough? 
I believe he's the better overall fighter here, but it's all about how you play the game. And Anthony Smith could absolutely play this game in his favor. So even though Uncle Live is my favorite fighter in the UFC right now, I'm not running to the betting window to parlay him at minus 560 in this spot. I know better than that. This is a closer fight than the odds indicate, but the spot that I am liking is actually the over two and a half. I, I do see this fight going the full uh, 15 minutes, and I think it's going to be due to Uncle Ive slowing this fight down with his clinch, with his takedowns, and ability to grind out Anthony Smith. So as long as he doesn't get it caught in this uh, triangle choke or anything via uh, Anthony Smith, I see him grinding this fight out and asserting himself as you know one of those guys that you can rely on as a potential cont- title contender uh, after this weekend. So give me Uncle Ive. Uncle by decision over two and a half is probably the bet I would go with. What about yourself uh, here, Dan? Are you giving Smith as much of a shot as it seems like I'm giving, or do you think Uncle Ive just steamrolls him? I mean, let's be honest here, man. Pre, the only reason you're talking like this is because Magomed's minus 600. If he was minus 150, minus 175, minus 225, you'd max bet him in this spot, and rightfully so. You know I it. mean, <laughs> the, the whole thing with this Magomed being boring and stuff. Yeah, I mean, as a fan, it's easy to criticize, but if you take the fan cap aside, I mean, this guy doesn't make too many mistakes. Like, when I rewatched that fight he had with Krilov, like, that was such a high-level fight, and that made me so confident in betting Krilov against Gustafsson. Like, I was like, Gustafsson can't hang at that level no more. <laughs> like, that, that's a very high level those guys are at, man. And this fight, whether it's boring or exciting, actually comes down to Anthony Smith. If Anthony Smith is just content to sit back and lose a decision, then that's exactly what's going to happen. If Anthony Smith wants to take some more risk, well, then you're going to see the more exciting Ankaliev because, you know, you look at a fight between Ankaliev and Kutalaba. You know Kutalaba's got a screw loose. Kutalaba goes right at you. Well, if you go right at Ankaliev, then he's going to be exciting. But if you're like Volkan and you have a technical striking match with Ankaliev and you kind of accept early on that, man, this guy is better than me, so I'm just going to fight to survive instead of fighting to win, well, then it's going to be kind of a boring fight. So it's really up to Anthony. It depends what Anthony wants to do. He's got to pick his poison here. Does he want to take some risks and, you know, like Joe Rogan said, risk getting knocked out? Remember that uh, Barboza versus Edom (laughs) fight? Or uh, does he want to just, you know, is he just content to lay back and, and lose a decision? So it's up to Anthony Smith if this fight's going to be exciting or not. But I got Magomed and Khalif, and next week we got Jamal Hill. But I don't think they're going to fight quite yet. I think that I think Volkan Uzdemir might have to, you know, he he was he was talking Jamal Hill's name. I think he might have to pay up for that, and I think they might want to take Khalif straight to a title shot, depending how he, how he looks. So. Whether this fight's exciting or not comes down to Anthony Smith. So let's see if Anthony Smith says fuck it and goes for it. Because if he does, then you'll see the exciting ankle leave. But if Anthony Smith is just content to sit back, then you're going to see an ankle leave decision. Well, we usually see it with a lot of these great fighters who are just so disciplined and so good. It it depends on how their opponent fights them, right? Like we used to say it about Anderson Silva back in the day. We're saying it now about Israel Adesanya in terms of when guys are not pushing him, He's just going to go out there and unpoint them, right? Like, why should he have to go out there and, and be the one that risks it? He's the, the more disciplined fighter at the end of the day. So Smith knows that he will either lose that distance or if he pushes the pace here, he could eventually, you know, 
uh, risk it enough to finally uh, uh, get the reward, but he is putting himself in danger as well in terms of getting clipped by a, a technician like Magomed on collab. So very intrigued to see how Smith uh, approaches this fight. He had a great line at the at the press conference as well, right? Uh, Magomed has had 18 professional <laughs> MMA fights. He's never had a fight. He's going to fight this weekend. So uh, he better bring the fight after saying a line like that. So I can't wait to see how he approaches it. All I wonder, right. I wonder, yeah, I wonder how many times he practiced that in the mirror. It was a, it was a great line. <laughs> Just staring at the mirror. <laughs> it, it was a fantastic Come line. On, it, it, it seemed very well rehearsed. <laughs> but, now, but now tomorrow the talk is over and he's got to actually do it, you know? So let's see. Exactly. I love it. All right. Let us move on to the next fight. Uh, high stakes flyweight fight between Alexandre Pantoja and Alex Perez. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus five or sorry, minus 190 on Pantoja and plus 160 the return on Alex Perez talking about one liners at the press conference. Pantoja probably mm. stole the show as well as saying, Oh, I'm a happy father and I'm just happy for my kids. Like just, I think that went over most people's heads. It was absolutely amazing. Shout out to Pantoja for sneaking that one in there. Uh, didn't get many questions that night, uh, but that was probably one that actually stole the show. Uh, I'll let you kick this one off. My friend, uh, what are you thinking about this flyweight fight? Are people too low on Alex Perez because of his last fight being that guillotine quick finish by Davison? Figueredo in November of 2020, or are they right? Is Pantoja rightfully the next guy in line for a title shot, especially if he can get the win here? You know, back to that quote, I think the reason it flew under the radar is because people didn't see that season of the Ultimate Fighter when Pantoja beat both Kai Car France and Brandon Moreno in the house. Yeah. He he choked out uh Brandon Moreno and he broke Kai Car France. So that's why he said he's their daddy. And then he ended up fighting Brandon Moreno again in the UFC and he beat him even worse. Even though yeah. he finished him the first time, he beat his ass the second time. With Alex Perez, it's kind of tough because he's got a lot of skill, man. I mean, yeah. he he's got heavy hands. He's a big flyweight, wrestling background, calf kicks, some unorthodox submissions as well. I don't think the submissions are going to work here. But if this fight goes all three rounds, then it might actually be a dog or pass situation because you've seen these fights kind of like the Pantoja versus Dustin Ortiz fight. Um, yeah. Where like... Good call, man. That That's a deep one right there. I like that. Right? Like yeah, where yeah. you think on paper going into it, yo, Pantoja ain't losing to this guy. Just like I thought Nicolau ain't losing to this guy. And then they both lose to this guy, right? Yeah. So like if this fight goes three rounds, it might be a dog or pass situation. But... Alex Perez, from time to time, it's not just the Davison fight. Even prior to yeah. the UFC, will dive headfirst in the chokes. And if there's one guy that's opportunistic, it is Pantoja. But I don't like minus 200. I liked, you know, minus 150, and I, and I missed the minus 150. So, you know, I missed the minus 150. I'm not about to go force a bet at minus 200. So it might be a dogger pass situation, but my pure pick is going to be Pantoja. Hopefully he can make something opportunistic happen here because if it goes three, it's going to be a sweat. Yeah, the, this for me is the most volatile fight on the card. Like, I don't think the odds are an accurate representation of how close this fight could actually be. I think it's just more so people writing off Perez because of how easily he lost in his last fight against uh, Figueredo or quote-unquote easily, right? Like, it's not like he willingly put his head in there to get choked and, and chopped off by uh, Figueredo in that spot. Um, and we're used to seeing Perez as a chalky favorite in uh, most spots too, right? So to see him as an underdog here and at plus 160 even uh, is very interesting 
to me. Um, I feel like you said, if this goes to a decision, it could be damn close. Like it could be one of those spots where Perez could just, uh, you know, outpoint Pantoja on the feet because he's usually the busier striker whenever he's going up against these kind of guys. Uh, Pantoja, technically probably the better striker and could probably land the better and more damaging strikes. But if he's just not uh, active enough, things could get shaky for him. Um, and who knows, right? Like we didn't even get to see Perez truly show off his calf kicking love in the Figueredo fight. We saw him finish Juicy A Formiga the fight before that with the calf kicks. What if he looks to lay on it here against Pantoja and that could throw in a, a, a wrench in the plans uh, of Pantoja as well. But, you know, putting a gun to my head, I do end up on the Pantoja side. I do see either a club and sub situation or even just a, you know, sub situation where he just manages to get a grappling uh, scramble to go his way. And from there, he can eventually get his hand raised. But close fight, totals have me confused. Money lines have me confused. But in terms of a pure prediction perspective, I got to go with the uh, the Pantoja side as well. And that probably lines him up for, for a title shot, man. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Figueredo and him holding out for more money. But uh, got to believe Pantoja has got to be a part of the plans if he can get his hands raised this weekend. All right. Let's move on to the next fight, which is a heavyweight bout between Derek Lewis, who's coming in at plus 125 now, minus 145 on Sergey Pavlovich. Interesting fight because uh, we know what can happen with Derek Lewis fights, right? He has got to be the greatest Cinderella story in MMA, period. The guy that always comes in with the least amount of skill, but still goes out there and just puts that big power on his opponents. And I, believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's the heavyweight knockout king right now with most knockout finishes on his record. Um, that's why you know he always has closely lined fights against no matter who he's fighting against because he always has that nuclear power to put out his opponents. And that could absolutely be live here against Pavlovich. In my opinion... There might be a little bit of recency bias as to why Derek Lewis is the underdog here because he got smoked by Tai Tuivasa in his last fight. Had it been the other way around, you're probably looking at Derek Lewis minus 200, minus 250 in this spot. Whereas Pavlovich, yes, he's on a three-fight KO streak of, let's face it, the, the bums of the heavyweight division. Now he's getting a legitimate step up in competition. All he has to do is evade that big bomb of Derek Lewis and he could get his hand raised in this spot as well. It's absolutely possible. To me... Have you got, or had you gotten plus money in this fight, no matter which side it is, just like the earlier fight that we talked about against Nega Mariano and Pretoria? I think you got the right side of the coin, whether as long as you got that plus money. In terms of an official prediction, I'm going to go with Derek Lewis. I think he puts that hammer on Pavlovich's head and, and gets him out of there. I think he wants to make up for that flub that he had in his last performance against uh, uh, Tai Tuivasa, not just uh, losing against it, but losing against him in front of his home crowd. Now, he's not back in Houston here, but he's still in that state of Texas where he has that Texas pride. He wants to show off for those guys, and I think he's going to go for it here. I think he gets Pavlovich out of there within that first round. Yeah, plus money is probably the best way to go, but otherwise, keep me out of this fight. I, I, I want nothing to do with it. I think it's quite volatile, but I'll go with the Derek Lewis side of things. I believe you have a bet on this fight. Let us know what it is and who you think ultimately gets their Henry's in this spot. Yeah, you know, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's a dog or pass situation. Um, so a few days ago, the other guy was the dog, and I took the other guy. I took Pavlovich plus 100. I put one unit on it. Um, but let's say I never made that bet, and now I'd be looking at, you know, Lewis plus 125, plus 130. I'd probably take a shot on him. So it's just one of those spots where you take whoever the dog is. I mean, assuming that it's going to be one of these guys gets a knockout and someone takes a canvas nap. But it could also be one of these heavyweight staring contests. And believe it or not, Derek Lewis is actually undefeated when fights go the distance. But when I took that plus 100 on Pavlovich, I'm kind of banking on you know him being that 
I mean, this is a grown ass man at heavyweight, man. This is a he's dude with big. a he's a got an 84 inch reach, kind of like John Jones. Um, six foot four. He's a big boy. And it seems like he he's got his confidence. He's got his feet under him. You know, after that Alistair fight, I wasn't too sure, but he's rebounded nicely. On, and this is a step up in competition. So let's see how he does. I mean, oftentimes Lewis is losing fights until he wins. So there's only so long you can fight with that style. Not to mention, I do question things about the hunger. I mean, he's already lost his two title shots. Like, you know, whereas this kid, Sergey, is still dreaming about being the champion. But yeah, he can, either guy can go to sleep. And this is the one I'm most worried about, bet wise. But it's only one unit, and I beat the line by a mile. So yeah, I got Pavlovich one unit plus 100. As long as Derek Lewis doesn't go on like three fight losing streaks, I think he could continue to go out there and just you know, get a win every now and then and continue to uh, collect those six-figure paychecks because we know the UFC is paying him pretty hefty because of the name and and kind of, you know, just what he brings to the table in terms of fan engagement. So, uh, yeah, very much looking forward to seeing how that one plays out. Good luck on your bet. But the fan of me is hoping that Derek Lewis goes out there and get his, gets his hand raised in this spot. All right. Yeah, I mean, listen, if Lewis wins, you can't sit here and act bitter or you know, cry about it. I mean, it'll be a nice moment regardless because Lewis, you love his celebrations when he knocks people out. Oh, yeah. The, guy, the guy's the UFC KO king. You look at his resume, he's beat the who's who. He's beat all the guys at the top, pretty much most of them, you know? So, yeah. I mean, knocked out Blades, beat Ngannou despite it being a boring fight, knocked out Volkov. So, nothing but good things to say about him. I can't believe you brought up the uh, the Volkov fight. I'm still grieving that one. Freaking 13 seconds away from cashing that shit. And Derek Lewis just goes beast mode and gets that win there. We'll never forget that. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. This is the co-main event. The first title fight that we got scheduled for this card. It's a flyweight interim title fight between former champion Brandon Moreno and... Uh, I guess you can call him number one contender, uh, Kai Car France, number two contender, considering Figgy is uh, sitting out right now. So that'll make Brandon number one. But uh, don't, Kai Car France, Pantoja. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Pat, right now, Pantoja is number three. Well, we'll just put it that way. Pantoja is number three in this spot. Um, but uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 215 on Brandon Moreno, plus 185 on Kai Car France. Just to give you guys some perspective, Brandon Moreno was the plus 140 dog in their first fight back at UFC 245 in December of 2019, drops the first round that night, excuse me, and then puts together a very good striking performance in rounds two and three, where he's able to outstrike and outwork Kai Car France, absolutely butchering him in the stand-up department, eventually getting his hand raised, and uh, like I said, pulling off the underdog upset in that spot. Uh, Dan, I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. What are you thinking about this matchup? Do you think the line is too wide? Uh, and then ultimately, uh, what are you thinking in terms of a prediction? Yeah, it's tough to say because they have fought before and I thought that Brandon won pretty clearly. But at the same time, when champs lose their belts, sometimes you question, you know, how they bounce back from that. And and also the line being where it's at, you see plus 185 on a guy like Kai Kara France and you can argue that it's a dogger pass situation. My criticism with Kai Kara France in the past has been that, you know, he, he comes out super hard, but he can kind of get, you know, discouraged down the stretch. It seems like he's been tightening that up a little bit. I think evidence is that fight against Askarov, man. I mean, he went out there and he stuffed 12 of 14 takedowns against one of the best wrestlers in the division. So that's a sign that the dude's improving. And obviously his Camp City kickboxing, 
they're known for Adesanya, they're known for Volkanovski, but more importantly than that, what I think is so great about strikers like that is their fainting game. I think they have the best fainting game in the UFC, and what's important about having a good fainting game is that they get their opponents mesmerized. They get their opponents to not really know what's going to come, and they're able to disguise their shots really effectively with that fainting game. And it seems like Kaikar Francis developed a bit of that too, and he's able to disguise that big overhand right that he's always looking for. And obviously, obviously, he's got the calf kick game going too. But Brandon Moreno, very unorthodox guy. And when I saw him beat Formiga back when he did that, I was like, wow, this guy's going to be a future champion. And the close fights he's had with Davison, um, just everything he's done from going to a guy that got cut from the UFC to come back and look how he's looked, it's truly incredible. So I think Brandon's got more ways to win. It's just I see it being a competitive five-round fight. Now, there is a chance that Brandon can come out here and possibly choke out a guy like Kai Kara France. Um, Brandon does have very good back takes. He's got a sneaky high kick. Uh, he, from time to time, he'll surprise you with some of his finishes. Like speaking of Dustin Ortiz uh, <laughs> with a Pantoja fight, I know you remember when Brandon uh, Moreno uh, dropped him with a head kick and then choked him out. Like, the dude will surprise you from time to time. That Lewis Smolka fight, he was a big underdog yeah. when he guillotine choked Smolka. Like, Smolka was on a win streak back then. Um, so Brandon Moreno will surprise you from time to time. So a finish won't surprise me. And also no two fights are like usually ever alike. Like, I guess the most recent one that comes to mind is like Joanna and Wiley. The first times this five round war second times is beat down, followed by like a spinning back fist knockout. You know what I'm saying? So it wouldn't surprise me if this was a completely different fight and someone got a, a finish here, but Based on where they're both at, they're both super durable. They're both hungry. I'm going to say it's a five-round war, and I'm going to say Moreno edges it. Yeah, uh, even another example of like rematches that are never the same, right? Even Moreno's fights against Figueredo. Same thing there, right? We yeah. saw that fight three times. We saw we literally saw a different outcome every single time, which is crazy to me. But uh, I, I really think that this version of Brandon Moreno is just on another level, man. Since coming back to the UFC, you laid it out properly. Uh, he, he went to a draw against Askar Askarov. And I remember having Askarov as a lock the night play that night. And I'm like, why is this more of a sweat than it should be? And then it just comes down to the the evolution and the experience and and the the adjustments that Moreno has been able to make in his game since initially getting cut by the UFC. Um, when they're getting to the judges' scorecards for that fight, I legit thought I lost that. I legit thought that Moreno was going to get his hand raised, but luckily enough for me, I ended up getting a push that night, but I truly felt like I should have lost that bet. Uh, and then he goes out there, puts that insane streak together, beating these guys left and right, capturing the title the way that he did. And obviously he lost in a very close fight against Davison last time around, but should they match them up again? I feel like I'd be on the Moreno train once again, as he was like inches away from winning that fight uh, as well. It was a close fight. We saw a very methodical Davison that night who was laying on the leg kick and the calf kick early and was really setting up the rest of his game around that. And it took, you know, a knockdown, uh, three knockdowns, I believe, uh, for Davison to truly get any uh, success in that fight and get his hand raised. Are we expecting Kai Carfans to go out there and have similar success in terms of dropping Brandon Moreno? Because going back and watching their last fight, it seemed like Kai was always just coming up short on his shots because Moreno did a really good job in terms of his, using his reach, using his head movement, getting in and out of the pocket, and then landing perfect counters of his own. That's why we saw him bust up Kai Carfans as effectively as he did. And yes, Kai looked great in his last fight against Askar Askarov. Don't get me wrong, but... I don't see what those improvements that he showed in terms of takedown defense and ability to get back to his feet will change anything that's going to happen with Brandon Moreno. 
I still feel if Brennan wants to go out there and have a 25 minute kickboxing fight, he could do that. I do feel as though one of those, one of these guys is going to try to implement the grappling and try to, you know, uh, have those advantages and try to make one of those rounds very clear by being uh, the dominant grappler in a certain round. But I don't think either guy is going to have significant success in terms of implementing that. I think both guys are great with their defensive grappling. I do believe that Moreno is a better BJJ artist. So if he does get the back of Kai Car France, that's where we saw, you know, Askar Askarov hold on for a roughly a round. That's where we saw how Jerry Bontrian almost last the full round, just getting control on Kai Car France. Maybe Moreno gets away with the same thing there. But I am not worried in the least bit if Moreno has to go out there and fight this guy in terms of a striking battle for 25 minutes. I still think he edges him out there and, and beats him pretty decisively. I, I'm seeing people saying that the first fight was close. Sure, Kai won the first round, but after that, uh, after that first round, I don't think it was close, man. Moreno was beating him to the punch every single time. We even saw him like flexing at the end of that second round on Kai Car France because he just had so much goddamn confidence going into that third round. I'm expecting the same to see the same thing here. I went as deep as making Moreno my biggest play of the night here. I got five units on him at minus 187. I got him even before this last event because I knew the number was going to rise on him in this spot. And it only got up to about minus 210, minus 215. But still, I was happy to get the minus 187 uh, rather than waiting a couple more days. Uh, but yeah, give me Brandon Moreno. Get that interim title. Throw that shit on the ground. Call out Davis and Figueredo. Let's get that fourth fight put together so that he can get his hands on that undisputed gold, which he deserves, in my opinion. And I'll say this. Yeah. I did back Figueredo in the last fight. I, I, I cashed on Figueredo against Moreno. But watching that again, I don't know if I'd, I have the balls to go out there and bet Figueredo once again. I think Moreno is just on a completely different level. You're going to add, Dan. Well... I was going to say something else, but since you brought that up, you don't know if you'd bet him. Well, I mean, he was like plus 160, plus 150, uh, yes, Figueredo yes. was. So yeah. you get odds like that, then you will bet him. But I agree with you, bro. I mean, I thought Brandon Moreno clearly won the first fight between him and Kai Kara France. Like, yeah. no no question, no debate. And honestly, I think you can make an argument for it being 30-27, as crazy as that might sound to some. Um, I just thought that Brandon Moreno, you know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, broke him down the stretch like yeah. that's that used to be historically the issue with a guy like france but to uh you know to kind of answer another question slash point that you were kind of talking about the way for kai car france to steal rounds here would be the way that davison stole rounds would be you know you're losing the whole round and you get a knockdown that's how he that's how he'd be able to steal rounds here so you know but I'm not in the camp of saying that Moreno's chin is diminishing. I, I think that Davison's the hardest hitter in the division. Yeah. I think it doesn't matter who you are. You get hit by that guy, you're, you're dropping. I mean, he dropped Pantoja. One does yeah. not simply drop Pantoja. So I just think Davison's a very heavy hitter, and that's why Moreno got dropped. Um, but still, you don't want to take a flush one, you know, a flush overhand right by Kaikar of France. So that would be the way that he would steal rounds. I mean, the reason I say that is I don't think he's going to be stealing rounds with takedowns. You know what I mean? So yeah. that that would be the way. Uh, I will also say, like, Kai Car France is being like, touted as this crazy knockout puncher. But the funny thing is, he only has two knockouts in the UFC. Out of nine UFC fights, he only has two knockouts. He, ha he does have a handful of knockdowns as well. I think he has four, or sorry, he has six total knockdowns inside the UFC in his nine fights. Two of those coming to Cody Garbrandt, which he obviously ended up finishing, uh, we know, in that second knockdown. So uh, let's see if Moreno's chin can hold up to that. I believe it will, uh, and then we'll see how differently this fight plays out. But I still think that we'll get the same result, and that's Brandon Moreno getting his hand raised here. 
All right. That brings us to our main event of the evening. Shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have with us. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already. Hit my guy Dan as well with a follow on Twitter. The link to his Twitter page is in the description below. And then make sure you guys seek out Half the Battle as well on all podcasting and uh, YouTube as well. Uh, make sure you guys search up Half the Battle and give my man a subscribe over there and get his knowledge every week for a UFC fight as well. All right, let's get into this bantamweight women's title fight. We got Juliana Pena coming in as a champion, also coming in as a plus 220 underdog, going up against former champ, current featherweight champ as well, uh, Amanda Nunes, who's coming in at minus 260. Now, I, I remember the days. I, I'm not sure if a lot of these guys were, were fans back then, Dan, but remember Juliana Pena's run on The Ultimate Fighter Remember, she was like usually a very big favorite on those spots. And then she goes out there and wins the ultimate fighter and then gets her ACL blown to shit when she was training over there at Sick Jitsu. I know the exact guy that blew it as well, unfortunately. But either way, um, she blows out. You want to name names? <laughs> it's all good. Maybe I'll DM it to you afterwards. But hey, you're in the industry. You probably know too. Um, but either way, um, yeah, that seemed to really uh, deflate uh, her her status, right? Like she was seen as the guy that could potentially give Ronda Rousey some troubles because of her wrestling style and the way that she was able to just grind opponents into the ground. That's why she was a big favorite in the Ultimate Fighter house. That's why she ended up winning the Ultimate Fighter. And that's why people were very high on her. For me, I lost a little bit of zest on her after she ended up getting tapped out by Valentina. But looking back on it now, it's like, oh, you know, you're talking about the greatest flyweight women's fighter of all time, Valentina Shevchenko. Okay, I'll call that a pass. That's completely fine. But the first fight against Amanda Nunes, man, I don't know about you, but to me it felt like that was not a disciplined or even motivated version of Amanda Nunes at all. Like, I've been saying it all week. When you have a guy like Joe Rogan stroking you off, saying that you're the greatest women's fighter of all time and you have nuclear power that you can, you know, end anybody's night once you land that big power on them, you start to believe it. And, you know, more often than not, it's been working out for her. She goes out there, she lands her big bomb, she gets her opponents out of there. She tried it against Juliana Pena in that second round when Pena starts pushing the pace, and it's not working. And Pena's the one starting to land the biggest strikes. Then Pena lands the takedown. Then Pena attempts a rear naked choke, and she taps out to it. And I said attempt, because she did not lock that shit in. Daniel, you're, you're on the jujitsu mats on a weekly basis. That that <laughs> choke was not locked in at all. Let's let's be honest. Let's let's be real. That that was not cho uh, locked up at all. That was more so Nunez just giving up because she just she was out of it. She 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 felt she was deflated. The gas tank was on E. She just did not have enough left there. I'm hoping we see a much more determined and polished version of Nunes this time around because she's clearly the better striker. Put some combinations together. Lay back on that leg kick that you were using in that first round because that was quite successful. Once you start getting into this war, Pena has shown that she has some solid durability and she'll be able to outslug you in those spots. Let's try to keep it as clean as possible. Stick that jab out there. Get some combinations going. Use that leg kick. Maybe even use some grappling dominance of your own. Maybe she could take Juliana Pena down and have some success on top. So in terms of a money line perspective, like it's hard to argue against taking another shot on Juliana Pena because we saw her go out and do it last time around. But the spot that I think that is being overlooked here is the the over. Uh, over one and a half minus 190, not bad. But even the over two and a half at plus 100. Like I think this is a fight that sees the third, maybe even fourth round uh, with these girls being a little bit more cautious and, and trying to be a little bit more methodical with their approach. Uh, not often do we see like a fight that gets finished in the first round and then in the rematch go the same exact way, right? We saw it, like you're saying, at the Rose Namajunas fight against Yuani and Jacek. 
finishers there in the first round. Next fight goes the full five. Same thing with the, the Wiley Zhang fight, right? Similar type of thing. So I'm I'm gonna lean with Nunez to to win this fight. I just don't have the balls to go out there and lay minus 260 on her. We have to go out there and see if she actually has what it takes still. Uh she's throwing around the retirement word, which is a red flag for a lot of huh. people, but I still do think that she'll be able to put on uh the best performance she possibly can before I ended up hanging up the, the gloves here. So uh, I'll go Nunez. Maybe Nunez by late finish, maybe decision. But in terms of a bet, the only spot that I would even think about putting my money is the over two and uh, over two and a half at plus money. What are you thinking here? And let me know your thoughts on the total as well. If you think I'm off my rocker with with that suggestion here, or uh, do you like that as well? You said over two and a half at what? Plus one hundred. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see it, of course. Um, I really don't know the method, but I know who I'm picking as the winner. So first time they fought, I was dead wrong. I took Amanda Nunes because I, I fell into the trap, man. I thought that this girl's invincible. This girl's untouchable. There's not, you know, remember when Conor McGregor said, there's not a man alive that can beat me. Yeah. I thought there's not a woman alive that could beat her. You know what I mean? <laughs> man? So, that, that's just kind of what I thought. Kind of like back when Joanna fought uh, Rose the first time, I was like, there's not a woman alive that can beat her, right? Um, in that weight class. And I was wrong, just like I was wrong about Anderson Silva and Weidman the first time. I thought there was not a man alive that can beat Anderson Silva. You know, you fall into these traps and you think these these fighters, they got that aura. They're invincible. No one can touch them. They're levels above everybody. And when the person finally comes that can beat them, sometimes you overlook it. And I made that mistake the first time with Pena and Nunes. But the reality is after seeing that fight, the reason it's different than Silva versus Wyman or Joanna versus Rose is because like Silva and Joanna got knocked out fair and square. I mean, they got knocked out cold, right? Like Nunes tapped out to a choke that wasn't even locked in. So this yeah. completely like humanized her to a point where like we're not putting her on a pedestal anymore. We don't think she's invincible anymore. And for a lot of us like yourself, we've been watching the sport a long time. We've seen this in the past, like the Kazangano fight, the Alexis Davis fight. It's just that she has such a run of success where she won two belts that we completely forgot about that. And we were like, oh, times have changed. Like, you know, she she's leveled up, not just physically, but mentally too. Apparently not. And then when you look at the fights that she's had, I think it's just a case where no one stood up to the bully. I really think that's it, man. I mean, like, Cyborg tried to stand up to the bully, but Cyborg couldn't take the shots required. Raquel Pennington tried to stand up to the bully, but Raquel Pennington couldn't take the shots required. Megan Anderson, I mean, you saw the the, the famous was- clip of her looking <laughs> goat-faced, walking into the arena, broken before the fight even started. And then you see the fight with, like, Felicia Spencer. Felicia's more content to survive and then, then she is to try to win. You know, she was more content to say, hey, I went five rounds with Amanda Nunes, you know, not take any risk. Just just get my ass whooped and get my paycheck and say that I was in a UFC title fight. So that's the difference here, man. That's the difference is that Juliana Pena is actually going to go for it. And she's got the hardware to take the shots that are going to be coming back at her. Because when Sarah McMahon gets hit by the, uh, by the Amanda Nunes shots, she goes down and she covers up. When Cyborg got hit by the Amanda Nunes shots, she went out cold. You know, Megan Anderson, I mean, she was ready to go home before the fight even started. So <laughs> the difference with Juliana Pena is that she can eat the shots. She's got a ridiculous chin, and she's going to give something back of her own. And when you stand up to the bully, the bully doesn't like it. And that's what we learned in that fight. So, yeah, I took Amanda, excuse me, I took Juliana Pena at plus 240. Either plus 240 or plus 245. I think plus 240. I don't remember. But 
it's on uh, i tweeted it out when i bet it and it's on my bet mma tips tracked as well so i, th- I think it was plus 240 ish um and i think it's a good bet i mean listen the first round amanda did win but i'm not falling into this trap that oh Joe Rogan was hyping her up and everyone was kissing her ass. Dude, everybody's been kissing her ass since like 2016. So this is nothing new. It's not like just before that fight they were kissing her ass. They've been kissing her ass for fucking six to eight years. So this is nothing new. I just think that, you know, long reigning champions, once they lose their belt, historically speaking, they don't regain that belt. I mean, name me like one long reigning champion that's lost their belt and then regained it. Like, like for real, like you can't because like the only ones we can think of are like Randy Couture against Vitor. But if you look at what happened in that fight, it was a 49 second eyelid cut. It was a fluke, right? Like Randy had already beat Vitor before and then they rematch Vitor beats him via a 49 second eyelid cut. So then they have the instant rematch and Randy gets his belt back, right? That's like the only time when a long reigning champions lost the belt and then gotten it back. I mean, maybe TJ Dillashaw. Stipe. Stipe, let's see. What, what happened with Stipe? Um, Lost to DC, ended up winning it back in a second fight. Yeah. DC fought uh, Derek Lewis in between that. But yeah, uh, rematch beat him, beat him in the third fight as well. So, But then he did obviously lose to Francis after that. But still, that, that's, that's, that's but, but it's further to your point, man. That, like, there's, that's a good example. Uh, Stipe is a great example. Yeah, but, but there's not many keep, examples. That, that's we, what you're getting at. He didn't keep the belt that long. Um, and someone said John Jones, bro. John Jones never lost his belt. He got stripped of the belt. Don't even fucking try me with that bullshit. John Jones has never lost a fucking fight. What are you talking about? Like, dude's trying to act like John Jones lost a fight. Like, what? John Jones never lost a fight. Um, and then someone says, Daniel, are you saying that Amanda can't win? No, I never said that. All I said was that I'm taking plus 240 on yeah. Juliana. I'm, I'm, th- I'm taking plus 240 on the person that made her quit the last time i'm taking plus 240 on the person that's going to stand up to the bully the person that's not broken before the fight begins the person that's got the hardware to take the shots required and it wasn't just about you know taking her down and locking in a choke that wasn't even locked in i mean what about her going out there and jabbing nunez and rocking her on the feet too so i i I like the odds here man so someone said he lost a dq to hamill dude matt hamill got his (laughs) ass beat don't even try me on that shit john jones has never been in a fight that he's lost like it might be a loss according to Steve Mazzagatti, but according to me, according to Manpreet, according to anyone with two eyes, uh, John Jones has never lost a fight before. So, yeah. So, yeah, I got Juliana Pena uh, here at plus 240. I got one unit on it right now. Might add another unit, but um, so far I only got one unit on it. I really don't hate it, man. Like, the more that I'm thinking about it, it's like we are quickly forgetting the potential that we saw Juliana Pena have after her ultimate fighter run. And she did have a couple bumps in the road. Uh, you know, for me, it was the the GDR fight that I just can't get the fuck out of my head, you know, having a decent better under her that night and then seeing her get guillotine choked by a kickboxer. I just couldn't live that one down, but she's making up for it, man. She, she goes out there and beats one of the greatest women fighters of all time. And she might be able to do it twice. Uh, should he, should she get her hand raised uh, this weekend as well? let's say this fundamental difference though she didn't tap she went she she went to sleep so like if amanda's gonna win this fight she has to put juliana pena to sleep which she can she can do i mean amanda's put people to sleep before and not to mention the first fight she had success with the calf kicks in the first round so maybe she can you know consistently get off on calf kicks it's just that as fights progress that's where juliana tends to turn it up and that's where, you know, you stand up to the bully. That's where the bully breaks. So, yeah, of course, Amanda can win the fight. I mean, Amanda 
is the greatest women's fighter of all time. That's not a debate. She is. I mean, no one's more accomplished than her in women's MMA, and she's as dangerous as they come. So, of course, she can win the fight. It's just this is the first time we've had someone that is willing to stand up to the bully, has the hardware required, and isn't broken before the fight begins. I'll correct you on one thing, though, and my guy DXJC brought it up here. Cyborg was the bully <laughs> that Nunez stood up to. But, yes, you are correct that Nunez has but become Cyborg the bully. couldn't take the shots. <laughs> Cyborg couldn't take the shots. Well, she could up until that point. Like, she was the bully in every single one of her fights, pretty much. And Nunez was the first person to finally stand there toe-to-toe -to -toe with her and, and, and again, stand up to the bully, essentially. But in beating the bully, she became the bully herself. And uh, we are seeing Pena be the one that is successfully standing up to her over and over again. All right. Appreciate... Uh, everybody checking out the show as always. That is a wrap on the breakdowns. The last thing we're going to do here, then we'll get out of here. Uh, most confident play on the card or your lock of the night play, essentially. Personally, for me, I'm going Brandon Moreno. Minus 187 is what I got in at. I personally don't mind the minus 210-ish number. Like, I really think that that first fight was not as close as most people are making it seem. And I'm hoping that he can go out there and replicate exactly that. Daniel, uh, again, I know most people don't like using the word lock, so I will say, what's your most confident play uh, on the card that you want to give out to the viewers here? Well, the three bets I made were all one unit each. So, but um, my, I guess, most confident is is Juliana. Um, that's the one. Even though I got the same amount on all my bets th uh, this weekend, that's the one that I'm considering adding a second unit on. So, you know, with with Rafael Alves, I took him plus two hundred. He's currently plus one forty. You know, I already beat that line and did my job. With Sergey Pavlovich, I took him plus 100. He's fucking minus 150 now or something. Like, yeah, I'm not minus interested. Minus 135, minus 150, but yeah. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not interested in betting that again. But Pena, I can still get plus 220, plus 225. Like, so if any of them, I'd bet again, it'd be Pena. There you guys go. So my guy, Dad, is going with Pena. I'm going with Moreno. Uh, so both title fight picks there for you guys in case you guys are interested in getting action down on those two last fights. Uh, Dan, uh, I'll give you the platform one last time for anything you want to plug, my friend, then I'll get us out of here. Yeah, I mean, firstly, man, Pre, thank you so much for having me on. You know, it's always a pleasure talking fights with you. And like I said at the beginning of the show, I was really excited when you asked me to come on here. So thank you, my man. It's an honor. And to all your fans, thank you guys too, man. I mean, it's been very entertaining watching the chat. You guys are <laughs> hilarious. Um, this has been a lot of fun. So I appreciate you guys making it to this point in the show. Make sure you give my boy Manpreet a like. Um, if y'all are, and a subscribe too. And if y'all are interested in checking me out, I'm on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, and then my show is called Half the Battle, and it's available everywhere podcasts are found. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Man Pre, and uh, let's cash these bets tomorrow. Hell yeah, brother. I love breaking down the card with you. We always have this great chemistry as well. Seems like the chat was digging it up as well. Can't wait to break down the fights with you once again. Good luck on all your action this weekend. Hopefully, Brandon Moreno can make my night as well by going out there and capturing that interim title. Uh, for everybody else, good luck in your bets. Make sure you guys gamble responsibly as well. I will be back tomorrow for the fight day live chat at 1 p.m eastern so make sure you guys tune right back on in into this channel and i'll be answering all questions in the live chat for as many as i can get through pay-per-view days gets a little bit crazy in the live chat but uh appreciate everybody always stopping by for those so i'll hopefully see you guys there and uh good luck on your bets tomorrow and uh let's end this off with some war brandon moreno let's bring that strap on home baby let's go